Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. So I went to university at 24 instead of at 18, like the rest of my friends. And it was probably the best decision I've ever made. The only real downside that I can think of is that I went after tuition fees were tripled in England back in 2012. But I don't think I'd have had as fulfilling an experience if I'd gone to university at 18 mainly because I had no idea what I wanted to do at that age and it took six years away from education for me to want to go back to it. And the subject I ended up studying, English literature, I hated at high school and it would have been last on my list of subjects. Going in my mid-twenties did mean that I didn't have the full student experience but I was also at a stage when that didn't feel like a sacrifice because I knew what I was there for. I do wish that there was a less expensive way to continue learning after formal education, but I really don't like the idea that learning should stop at 21, 22, and that by then we should know what we want to do and immediately stop learning and start working. It only took six years for me, but it did take a lot of mental energy to convince myself that even 24 wasn't too old to go to university. I think the idea of planning to do a course that lasts for maybe a few years is quite a scary thing because you can't help but think about how old you'll be when it's done and how far away that is from 22. I'm not sure how to go about reframing that, but I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts about this topic. Thank you. Bye. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Kyle. And this is The Real Question. Hey up, love. <laughs> we 
want to thank the newest uh, host panel of The View, who all became <laughs> patrons with us this past week. Elena D., Sierra V., Kat F., Sarah M., and Leah H. We're really excited to see you on our morning cable network. And thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Whoopi Goldberg is on vacation, but luckily we have these five fabulous people standing in. <laughs> exactly. So, Casper, you want to go back to school? So here's the deal. And this nearly feels like a deja vu because I feel pretty much the same way again now as I did then. But in December of last year, I was just really sad, like zoomed out, pandemic exhausted, just empty. And I realized that so much of what brought me joy in my life just hadn't been possible in kind of pandemic reality as it was for so many people, and that it wasn't going to magically happen somehow. You know, I needed to create some structures that would bring into my life the things that I loved, even if it was a little different from how it had been before. And one of the things that I loved was like reading interesting books, talking to interesting people, having interesting experiences, essentially learning new things. So when the new year started, I was like, okay, I'm going to create a spreadsheet. And I took every single book from my shelves that I have not yet read, and I put it out on a big table, and I chose 50. I was like, right, let's start with these guys. And I wrote them all into the spreadsheet. And then I sent an email to a whole bunch of friends saying, would anyone like to read one of these books with me? If so, choose it and put your name and the book in my little spreadsheet where there's three slots for every month of 2021. And so within a few days, I had, I guess it would be 36 books chosen by 36 different friends. And I make sure that I schedule for the end of every month, an hour long conversation with that particular friend talking about the book that they've chosen. I cannot tell you how much fun it's been. First of all, I've just read much more because I'm like, <gasps> there's a deadline. You know, I'm, I'm talking to my friend Iona at the end of the month. The second thing is that I read the book with that particular friend in mind, which also just changes the way that I'm engaging with the text because it's, I think, completely nonfiction. I'm sorry, fiction lovers. I'm such a nonfiction reader. So it kind of socializes the experience of reading. And thirdly, I feel like there's a nice kind of structured learning environment in my life again, which I love so much. But here's the thing. I'm all about self-directed learning. I'm all about kind of create your own syllabus. That's fabulous. But I also feel like if I do this for a couple of years, I'm going to be through all the books that I know I need to read. And I feel like what it's missing is some direction, some set of like, not necessarily like professional skill, but, but someone who's read this all before, thought about these questions before, and knows how to anticipate what's coming next and where to point me. And so what feels at stake for me in this question of like, should I go back to school is that, you know, I do have two master's degrees, which is an absurdly large amount of you know, education, but I don't have a PhD. <laughs> and like, that is the kind of like culmination of at least our professional or like institutions of higher learning. Like that's, that's the end point, right? Of your learning. I guess there's always more, but it turns more into kind of teaching and research rather than just like education. And so I'm wondering like, should I do a PhD? Like, should I find some way to keep learning? Because I love it so much. And I don't, I don't want it to end. Like, if I could go back to our grad school experience tomorrow, I would 100% do it. Yeah, no, me too. But 
You asked two different questions there at the end. You said, should I get my PhD? Should I find a way to continue learning? And those seem like two very different questions to me. So is this about the PhD? The PhD question is the obvious version of that. Um, But it's also the one I kind of already feel clear about because at least in America, it's like a six-year process. And I... First of all, do not have that kind of time. (laughs) Definitely in terms of like financially, that would just be incredibly difficult. But I'm also not really interested in becoming a professor and teaching. Like that's not my gift to give. Um, And and that's what that degree is set up to do, right? To to enter you into this academic profession. In the UK, a PhD is more like three years. And that becomes a very different kind of conversation. Even if you did it part-time or I I don't know, like it's it's a different kind of question to me. But really, I'm more interested in like, how can I keep learning with guidance? Like it it feels like right now I'm guiding myself, which is really cool. But I think even more than like what specific practical thing to do, there's a bigger question in here, which is like, as I'm more responsible in my work, like I'm writing projects or I'm leading research in my day job, I also come up against this feeling of like not knowing enough a lot of the time of like, there are so many theological voices I've never even read. I can't tell you what Anselm really talked about. I mean, Augustine, I can just about hold a conversation about for a minute. You know, I read the confessions once, but I just, I feel like how am I supposed to be I don't want to say an expert, but at least a professional when there's still so much that I don't know. And like, I love learning those things. And so why, why can't school last forever, Vanessa? Because I don't want it to end. Yeah. I mean, I feel you, right? I So some of the sort of like threads that I'm hearing are one, like an insecurity about your own expertise. Mm. Another one that I'm hearing is that when you're not in a formal institution and not like paying for the time of people with real expertise who've spent years of their lives training and becoming excellent teachers and scholars, we don't feel like we have access to them or the right to them. And so how do we cultivate relationships in our lives where we can be learning that's essentially like not based in capitalism and degrees, right? Because it sounds like mostly you want to sidestep paying for another degree. Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty clear that it's not about having like another piece of paper, right? There's no one sitting at a desk waiting for me to show up and be like, finally, I've proven myself. Here is the degree program that ends all your doubts about me. Please hire me. That's not true. And I also you know, in the moments that I fantasize about having like Dr. Turkile on my front door or something. Like, I'm just like, well, just buy a hat and a tassel and parade around your house. You know, like no one cares. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's less about having new qualifications and it's really more about the joy of learning and feeling like I'm secure in the field that I love or like in this in this discipline or in this tradition of knowledge. And I find myself especially thinking about theology at the moment. Um, you know, in divinity school, obviously I, I learned some theology, but also like I didn't know anything. I didn't know the difference between a Presbyterian and a Methodist. So like I wasn't ready to like dive deeply into, you know, great theological conversations from 500, 2000 years ago. And now I feel like I'm ready for that. And I wish that I 
could have that kind of learning? And it's it's such a privileged question, first of all. Like, I, I really appreciate that. But I do think that this this paradigm that we have of our education systems, that it starts, you know, when you're young enough to get out of the house so your parents can work, and that it's finished when you're ready for the labor market. Like, that is such a icky, limiting understanding of what learning is for and how we might learn and, like, what joy learning itself can give us. And so I, I'm, I'm frustrated by the lack of learning infrastructure that exists for anyone who wants to keep learning. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say that I'm impressed that you now feel ready for divinity school. I just now feel ready for high school. I'm like, I really think I could take full advantage of high school now, properly learn Spanish, really learn how to write a great essay, finally master algebra too. No, actually, it's the other way around. The PhD is easier than high school because with the PhD, you don't have to do algebra two ever again. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, what I'm hearing is something that I feel like I even hear from my friends with PhDs, right? Which is, I ask friends with PhDs questions and they go, oh, you should really talk to this other academic about that, right? Huh. Which is just an insecurity about the fact that, like, none of us know as much as we want to, right? Yeah. The world is so vast and so beautiful in this way. And there have been so many thinkers that what do we do with the fact that, like, we're never going to be enough, right? In yeah up against these things. But the other thing that I'm hearing is like you, you are setting aside time and you are studying with people. So it sounds like the thing that you're missing is learning from people. Mm. Yeah, I think that learning from someone is really, that's really important. And also that they're like a live human, right? Because you can learn from a book, but at least in my experience, it's not it's not the same as like being able to have a conversation about the book with that person or like being able to bring the actual question that you're thinking about as you're engaging the text, right? I can write in the margins and I can talk about it with the friends that I have who've also read the book, but I don't necessarily know not only how this fits within a broader array of questions within the subject, but more like the actual questions that I'm pondering in myself. So with like the theology interest, Right. So many of the questions are like, well, what is God? <laughs> and that's not a question you could just be like type into Google and be satisfied by the answer. Right. Like that is a discursive, evolving, rich conversation with so much complexity and openness and, and interest. And I think that's so much of what I miss is like that broader learning community that we had in graduate school and also the individuals who were just wonderfully powerful teachers that have shaped me in really important ways. And I guess I feel a little bit like I'm far away from those kind of teaching relationships now, like obviously geographically because I moved, but also like I'm not encountering them in the hallway, right? There's not a, a seminar that you can sit in on. That was so much of my life living in a university environment for seven years. And I feel a little unmoored without it. Like if I'm not in a learning community, like who am I becoming? Casper, this is so interesting because I feel like this question pulls on the threads of so many of the questions you've brought, right? You brought us a neighbor's question, and this is about who you surround yourself with, right? That for seven years you were in a university setting and you were neighbors with people who were constantly thinking about teaching and learning, and now you're not. 
I hear questions about what you have time to learn and what you don't, which is a question that you brought to us (laughs) with driving. Um, I hear questions of grief and missed opportunities of conversations, which is the question you brought to us with your grandparents, right? Like these are real threads in your questions. And then the other one is this question that you brought us recently about middle age, right? That, you know, you've had great mentors and it's now time for you to be a mentor. And so what I'm also hearing is some anxiety about the fact that you're like, it's now my turn to be the mentor, but I don't feel ready to Mm. be the mentor. Hmm. And so this question seems to encapsulate all of those things. So it's like, (laughs) I, woo, we got a lot of work to do. No pressure. (laughs) Is there something, I mean, like the school question obviously encapsulates all of that, but I'm trying to think the question that I really hear at the heart of this is like this, not midlife crisis, but this crisis of like, I'm now this different kind of adult than I was. And what kind of adult do I want to be? And you've decided some things. Most likely kids are not in your future. Mm. Maybe buying a house is not in your immediate future. And you have, I, I almost feel like you're having a crisis that we also have people like us who are lucky enough to be educated, like at 22 of like, There are too many options. I don't know what next step to take. Mm. And if I take the wrong next step, I'm going to be on the wrong path, right? Like Mm. the ship is going to be facing the wrong direction. And so in 30 years, I'm going to end up in a totally different location than where I was meant to be. Mm. So I think what I'm hearing is a lot of anxiety about the next step. Mm. Does that resonate? Or a sense that the next step matters. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely that sense that the next step matters. I think I think that's always true. It's so interesting hearing you connect the questions because in my head they're like so different, but uh, maybe maybe they're really not. <laughs> I mean, the thing they have in common is you, right? Like they are different. Yeah. Mostly I just want to apologize to our listeners. I'm like, oh, sorry, everyone. This is the same no. question over and over again. <laughs> I'm always, all my questions are about anger. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess I I want to make sure that I'm like doing it right. And like, how do you know what the right thing is? And at least if like you're in an education setting, like someone else is supposed to know. <laughs> I feel like, if you're just out there, I mean, that's that's what I feel in a small way with these books when I'm reading them and then talking about them with someone else who is smart and insightful and has rich life experience. But part of me still feels like, but is this what the book is actually trying to tell me? Like, did I understand it? Is, you know, am I taking away the right messages in all its complexity? And and there's no one, <laughs> no one else to be like, yes, Casper, you got an A. Well done, you. And I was never even like a very grade obsessed person. Like I skipped a midterm to go on a learning journey to Detroit in grad school because I didn't care about the economics class I was in. Like I'm trying to say I'm not like a grade A student person. That wasn't me. But what I do care about is like, yeah, am I living the best life, the the right life? Am I am I am I making the right choices to make the most out of this one wild and precious life, as it were? 
Well, yeah. Okay. That seems like a question worth asking. (laughs) So why don't we look at the text? I want that for you. Live your best wild and beautiful life. (laughs) Um, Hashtag thanks, Mary Oliver. Um, So the first text, okay, I'm a little sheepish about this one because part of what it means to choose a text is to like have some integrity about where the text comes from and like know about it. But this is a quote that is attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, which, forgive my pronunciation, but it means Hermes the Thrice Greatest, who is a a, a god in the kind of Greek panoply of gods. Um, He's often depicted as the messenger with his winged feet. And he was really a popular figure with alchemists in the early modern period. So if you're fans of the Philosopher's Stone, Hermes was often the god that they would look to, at least in allegory. He had insight and wisdom and creativity as as part of what he had to offer the world. And during the Renaissance, it was accepted that Hermes Trismegistus was a contemporary of Moses. But again, all of this is somewhat ahistorical. But what's really helpful for us in this context is the quote itself, which is, if thou but settest foot on this path, capital P path, thou shalt see it everywhere. And so what I like about it is it's this very welcoming and affirming orientation toward what is the right way to live, right? What is the path to wisdom? What is the path to to learning and knowledge? And what the quote tells us essentially is that like, listen, if you're trying, then you're on the path. If you're learning something, if you're trying to learn, then, then that's the right way to go. And that feels really good because I you know, I tried to make a little structure of learning for myself. I, I set up this spreadsheet. I, I've had these conversations with friends and we're now well into, you know, towards the final quarter of the year and I've really enjoyed it. And so I guess what I'm taking from this quote is a sense of like, okay, you can create your own learning journey. Like you don't have to take a class as a, you know, visiting student at a local university. You don't have to do an expensive online digital thing. But I'm also like, come on, Hermes, have some standards. <laughs> <laughs> I Well, the other thing that I hear from this Hermes quote is that if you find one path, then you'll see that path everywhere, right? So mm. the example in my life is Peter, who is a chemist and loves chemistry. And he sees chemistry everywhere, right? He sees the beauty of that everywhere. And I feel like if you are a theologian, if you believe in stories the way that I do, right? Like you start to see whatever it is that you love everywhere. And so the other thing that I'm hearing from this quote is depth, not breadth, or that depth is breadth, Oh, right? That you can really focus in one thing and it more and more will help you understand the whole world. I love that idea that depth is breadth. That is just rocking my world right now because what I'm hearing you say is like, if you go deep in one thing, it actually like opens up everything because i look at a menu and i'm like well this has theological implications isn't that interesting the way they're using you know this imagery to sell this ketchup i'm constantly thinking about this and i'm seeing it everywhere and i've always worried that like specializing or especially the phd kind of specifically like if if you're going so deep into one tiny angle of one pinpoint of one thing you're missing you know the wood for the trees like you're missing the bigger picture but 
this quote and the way you interpret it actually suggests like, well, if you go deep enough into something, it refracts everywhere and you can find, yeah, you can find these angles of meaning that connect to it. That's super cool. So what if next year, instead of 36 books, you do one book? Oh, wow. What about if I do it for five years with you on a podcast? <laughs> no, but seriously, <laughs> right? With But you only had me, right? So yeah. what if you ask... 36 people to read one book with you. And each time you essentially have them refract back to you what they learned from the book. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, my immediately response is like, wouldn't that get a little boring? But I guess I know that it wouldn't. Okay, but here, oh, so that reveals another angle to this question. Because mm -hmm. there's also my insatiable book buying habit which mm -hmm. is just like oh i should read this and oh this looks interesting and oh i'd love to know that and there's always more that i'd like to read than what i do read and mm -hmm. so uh, you know that invitation of like we'll do one thing and go really deep is also terrifying because i'm like yeah but the opportunity cost is that there's 35 books that i could have read that i then didn't totally and that is bad <laughs> that is bad i really feel that you have come to terms with this in other parts of your life, yeah. right? Yeah. You picked one man. Yeah. Why, why not one book for a year? Why does this feel different? <laughs> it's such an interesting question. Okay, now I'm being more forgiving to like formal education. Because one of the reasons that you create subjects and specialties is that you create a doable menu. Like... No one's ever going to be able to master every subject, right? You're not even going to be able to read everything in the history of one piece of it. You have to go so specific until you can look in the mirror and say, you know what, I really do know everything there is to know about this specific thing. I guess that's why we've turned it into this very narrow path, as Hermes might say, because then there's a sense of completion, like a sense of yeah, fulfilling the task. And that's the energy I think that I'm bringing, which is like, must understand all things religion and all things theology. And it's like, dude, that's just never going to happen. Um, and so I need to reframe it from this sense of like getting through all the books, ticking everything off the list, you know, knowing all the things that I need to know before I can say something and instead be like, well, I'm learning. And like, the learning is the goal. Like, if you're enjoying reading these books, great. If it's giving you new thoughts to have, helping me like live better and more courageously and rightly, then it's enough. I guess this is why it is the same question as all the other questions that I'm bringing. But that's, that's a really interesting reframe that I do think Hermes would agree with, which is like, it's not about reaching the destination at the end of the path, right? But it's as long as your feet are on the path, then that's good enough. Yeah, I'm in the middle of reading a Tolkawande's book, The Checklist Manifesto. Mm. And the point of this book is essentially like you can become the biggest surgical expert in the world. And if you're not <laughs> a attentive to the process, it right. doesn't matter what you know. Right. And so if you're getting through books for the sake of getting through books right. or getting degrees for the sake of getting degrees, right? And I know that that's not what you would be doing, but I think, right, it's the same idea that like 
you can know everything, you can read every book, but if you're not enjoying it and you're not really contemplating what God is, and if you're not, right, like doing it slowly and truly setting your foot on the path, yeah, right? Not dipping a toe on the path, but like setting your foot on the path, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and that that feels really affirming. In my heart of hearts, I know I'm not going to go and get a PhD. Like, I just, I'm really not. It doesn't make sense for too many reasons. And I have glimpsed enough of what could work that I am excited about, like, being on the path that I'm somewhat creating myself, right? That kind of create-your-own curriculum vibe. But the bit that's still missing for me is the relationship with teachers, not just someone who you know, in a pre-recorded video is like, in 1987, this happened. But it's like, Stephanie inviting me for a cup of tea and like, listening to what I'm thinking about and saying, have you ever read this? And me being like, I've never even heard of this book, right? I wouldn't even know to go looking for it. And so that's the bit that still feels missing is like, I don't want to walk along the path, you know, with my eyes closed, having to feel my way through, like, where the wall is and like not fall into the flooded basement. I want someone to be like, oh yes, let me guide you. <laughs> Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Casper, so what is your second text for us today? So my second text is the classic 2001 film, Legally Blonde, directed by Robert Lukatich, I think, and starring, most famously, Reese Witherspoon as Elle Woods, who is dumped by her boyfriend who's going to Harvard Law School, and she's like, no, I'm going to show him that I am worthy. I'm going to get into Harvard Law School with the help of my sorority sisters from Delta Nu, which she does, and she shows up with her little dog Brewster, 
and they kind of conquer campus uh, in a beautiful pink mirage. And in this moment, Elle has impressed her professor, Professor Callahan, and essentially is building a relationship with a teacher where she's like, okay, this, this is going to help me get to where I want to go. Unless the defendant attempted to contact every single one-night stand to determine if a child resulted in those unions, he has no parental claim over this child whatsoever. Why now? Why this sperm? I see your point. And for that matter, all masturbatory emissions where his sperm was clearly not seeking an egg could be termed reckless abandonment. I believe you've just won your case. Ms. Woods, you did well today. Really? You're applying for my internship, aren't you? I don't know. You should. Do you have a resume? Yes, I do. Um... So in this scene, Professor Callahan is teaching. We've got Elle in the class along with, you know, 100 other or so students, including her ex-boyfriend, who is answering a question about a, a particular case that they're looking at. And... Um, in this case, there's a sperm donor who changed his mind about wanting to now be involved in the life of the child that resulted from his donation. And there's a legal debate that's happening in the classroom about whether that should be allowed or not. And Elle's ex-boyfriend has just kind of like had a little moment where he proved himself to be thinking like a lawyer because he figured it out. And here comes Elle who offers a different interpretation. So what I love about this clip, first of all, I mean, who doesn't love like beating their ex in an intellectual like exercise in front of a whole audience? And I don't know, <laughs> that was a little satisfying. But really, the moment that struck me was, you know, Professor Callahan recognizes something in L and says, are you considering applying to my internship? there's a next step for you. And let me suggest this might be one of those. And so he is offering a path, right? Like he's doing that thing that I've been talking about of, of not just being like, oh, that's interesting that you're thinking this. Tell me more about it, like being this listening presence. But there's also a sense of direction of like, you can master more of your skills here, or like you can get better at what you already have a talent for by doing this thing. Let me let me give you that opportunity to try. It's so funny, you used a word earlier in this conversation that suddenly stuck out at me, which was, if you're a theologian, and I'm like, how do you become a theologian? Like, I've had two or three people call me that before, and I'm like, <laughs> I like what me? Like I don't know. Like who am I to talk about what God is, right? For other people in some way, and so I guess that's kind of wrapped up in this moment for me of the the Legally Blonde movie is that like at some point Elle is going to be a lawyer, and then her interpretation of the law is as good as someone else's. I just find this scene really instructive in that way because in some way it's the teacher who gets to say yes. You have now reached this level. It is good enough for you to now go and do a thing. And I I guess I've never had that feeling quite in the way that I want to. So this gets in another strand that I think that we've sort of not talked about, but I think undergirds a lot of your questions. So, right, Elle's going to take a bar exam. And like that is what is going to determine that she's a lawyer. And Matt Potts, our friend, is a theologian. And he has been called a theologian by two institutions to some extent, right? He is an ordained priest in the Episcopal Church, and he has yep. his PhD from Harvard in theology. That'll do, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Like that'll do, right? So he is ordained by two bodies, right? Christened mm. by two bodies who have said yes. And you are someone who does not like institutional religion in any number of ways. And you've said to us that you're not going to go for your PhD. So the question maybe is, for someone who doesn't necessarily believe in the institutions that decide these things, how can you as a lay person decide those things, right? Because I can tell you how to become a theologian. Go become an ordained priest or minister. Go get your PhD in theology. Like, there are paths to do this, but you don't like either of those paths. So is there a moment in which you get to just decide. Is that your question? Yeah, I guess so. And in part, I'm bold enough to ask it because there have been wonderful theological voices who were not ordained and who did not have a PhD, right? And so I guess maybe maybe this is one of those things where you don't get to choose to inhabit that role. You have to wait until people recognize what you're doing and say, I think you're a theologian. Like, that can happen, but maybe it's not my decision to make, right? And I, I mean, I even feel ridiculous saying this out loud right now because I'm like, I do not know enough. Like, I do not, I'm not wise enough or smart enough to, like, claim that title. Like, talking about God is, like, the most ultimate thing. <laughs> like, it's absurd to, to even claim that in some way. That's interesting. I mean, my question for you is, like, how much do you believe in qualifications in a formal way? Because hmm. I feel like Trump really changed my feelings on that, right? Like, I feel like eight years ago, I was like, whatever, like, you can just be like an autodidact to know a lot about something, and I don't care if you have a degree. <laughs> and now I'm like, no, I super want my doctors <laughs> to have a degree, and I'm going to believe Fauci over, you know, this, like, commentator on Fox News. Thank you very much. Right. And, like, I think the answer is obviously something in between. I, like, don't think if you have a PhD from Harvard, that makes you smarter or wiser, two words you used, right? It makes you more official in the system. Hmm. But I don't think it says much of anything else, right? And, like, we lived in the dorms with Harvard students for long enough. Like, <laughs> I watched them not be able to put together a piece of Ikea furniture. And, like, <laughs> a lot of people without Harvard degrees can do that, right? Like, it does not make you a genius. It doesn't make you any number of things. But you also can't go through the process of getting a PhD from Harvard without knowing a certain number of things, right? There are hoops. Absolutely. And so my question is, like, how much do you believe in the power of institutions? And, like, do you think that that matters? I think it's because I fundamentally don't think, at least in the work that I want to do, that the established institutions of training are really good at what they're supposed to train us for, in the sense that, like, the world has changed so much, especially when it comes to spirituality and religion. Like, the way people are engaging their inner lives, the sense of how to make meaning with things, so much of what I see out there in terms of the official channels are still geared towards a world that was and not the world that is and is coming. And so I feel very skeptical about how well, like, becoming an ordained minister would train me to do the work I want to do. That's maybe a little unfair. And I, I definitely don't want to say that it's not right for everyone. Absolutely not. But it feels limiting rather than empowering, right? It feels 
Like I would be formed into something that isn't how I want to be. And so I feel like I'm having to create something that doesn't exist. And that feels a little scary because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do it right, but I'm also unwilling. <laughs> you know, I, I really looked into becoming an ordained minister again this spring, like because this question's really been on my mind. And I spoke to people who've been ordained. I've spoken to people who were within different religious institutions to really understand, you know, what would I be saying yes to? And I came out of that pretty much like running out of a burning house. Like I, I was like, absolutely 100% not. Like there's elements of this that I want, but if I say yes to the whole process, I think I'm not going to be the me that I need to be to do my best work. Like I'm going to be contained in a way that that is, it wouldn't be good for me, but I also just don't think it would be good for the work that I want to do in the world. <sighs> I have so many feelings about this, as you can hear. I mean, I think, you know, this is what a lot of my friends who've gone to law school and medical school have said, right? Like that med school and the boards is not about patient care, that law school is not about actually learning the law. It's about case law. You don't learn what matters, right? Right. I think that this is true for a lot of professions. The thing I want to point out from Legally Blonde is that the man who you are pointing to as this great mentor. Yes. Ends up sexually. Is super gross. Assaulting her, right? So like. I, I just even think this idea of a perfect mentor, right? Like the perfect mentors are also going to disappoint you. Yes. And like there are genuinely wonderful mentors, right? But they are people who like yeah. are not, their whole lives aren't about teaching us, right? Like they they go through things and they don't have all the answers. And so this idea would also disappoint you. A hundred percent. And that's so important that you brought that in from the film, because that's that's the way in which these institutions fail us, right? Like the promise of the path ends up being not just a disappointment, but like actively hurtful and damaging in the movie. There's this wonderful ending where she takes over the case and she kicks off kind of Professor Callahan because the woman that she's defending is like, I trust you, Elle, and no one else. But like, I don't know how much I believe in the story that the film suggests after it ends, that Elle is going to have some sort of glittering legal career. Like, this was a very particular case, and she's now all on her own against these big institutions out in the world. And is she going to be okay? I don't know. She's not all on her own, though, right? She's created friendships and has become a mentee of a younger professor. That's she's true. She's friends with people who can study. Luke Wilson is there. Oh, that's true. I forgot about Luke Wilson. And Selma Blair, right? Like Selma Blair is there to be a friend. And the other thing is that she still goes to law school and study, you know, and passes the bar. That's true. So it's messy for Elle too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's such a conundrum. I guess what I'm being presented with in this conversation is like, neither is the perfect option, right? Entering into a formal system of education gives you structure and gives you a, a specific path and people who are invested in helping you make it along that path. But if you don't trust the particular path that they're sending you on as the institution, you're going to have to be in a bit more of a messy, create your own, like bring mentors together in an informal way. Like that's clearly the path that I'm on now. And it's harder in some ways, but also maybe more accurate for what I want to learn or how I want to learn. So maybe I'm just realizing, like, that this has to be okay. <laughs> like, this just has to be good enough. I'm not sure that it's harder. I think it's it's just differently hard, right? Mm. Because 
I've just heard this from so many people who've gone through these processes of how difficult it is to try to squeeze yourself as a square peg through a round hole. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Right? And so what what's easier about it is that there is a clear path, but the path doesn't necessarily fit people. And so they have to do some real contortionism in order to get yeah. through and come out on the other side. So I, I just want to honor those yeah. people. It's differently hard and it's definitely much more ambiguous, the path that you're choosing. That's actually really helpful, Vanessa, because what is more painful to me is exactly what you were just describing. Like, I would just be kicking and screaming. I mean, I did enough of that in graduate school. Right. You know, within a pretty flexible framework, I was like, this is dumb. I am not going to do this language requirement because I already speak, you know, certain languages. And like, that for me is like clearly more psychologically painful than right. the effort of like figuring out my own reading list and like finding the people to teach me and the experiences that will hopefully shape me to be a trustworthy person in this work. Um, that's actually, that's really helpful. Like, it's like, which plate of broccoli do you want? Do you want the like, you know, unboiled one with hummus or do you want the like steamed one with a little bit of butter and pepper like they're both broccoli but you've and you got to choose one i'm definitely going for steamed with butter and pepper but other people prefer it raw <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> or some people don't have the option right which you've mentioned Most like people. the privilege of this absolutely. right like Some people are like, but I need to be trained as a nurse in order to work in a hospital. And I can't just be like, no, no, I love to heal. Right. Like (laughs) it depends on the the sort of world that you're in and the thing that you love. Yeah. Or even that the luxury of being able to kind of choose a career or like what you want to do rather than what is what is given to you. I think this is one of those questions where it's like, it's not like there's a breakthrough answer. But, like, having the conversation makes me feel better about the answer I kind of had already. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. You would hate being in a program. I really would. (laughs) Yeah. I I would probably quit after a semester. Oh, boy. So, a big thanks to the Greek god Hermes uh, and his fabulous quotation. And also to the fictional character Elwoods, played by Reese Witherspoon, and the entire cast and crew of Legally Blonde. And to you, Vanessa. Oh, thank you, Casper. This was wonderful. And I want to thank Lily from Kansas City, Missouri, who sent in this Neil Gaiman quote, you don't pass or fail at being a person. Oh, I like that a lot. And then it says, comma, Casper. (laughs) Which is a little pointed, Lily. (laughs) But it was apt for today. So thank you. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show because of your support. So if you have the means to help us out, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you love the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and Twitter at therealqpod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producers, Ariana Nettleman. We are edited by Malika Kumpankum. Our music is by Nick Boll, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks to Eleanor for this week's voicemail, to Julia Augie, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Arames, and Stephanie Pulsell. And a big thanks to our BFF tier patrons, Amanda Schramm, Aoife Howe, Ari, Ashley Mayle, Daniel Kelly, Eloise Faring, Eva Weyer, Jen Wolfe, Mara Rothman, 
Mary Margaret, Rebecca Crow, and Stephanie Fedowish. You are all fabulous. And we are so, so grateful. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you again next time. Bye. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hi, listeners. This is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning-making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit-building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information. And be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsorryworks.com.